Friday and I asked you what is the one song that you can play really loud and someone came through with this and you are 100% correct. We're all talking about Wham! these days, forget them. Why aren't we talking about Tears for Fears? Shout, shout, let it all out. These are the things that I can do without, come on, I'm talking to you, come on, it I'm on. It is a beautiful song. It has uh, motivated me to no end to start scrapbooking again. And really, it is, it is, it's, it's got a lot of power because the, you've kind of topped yourself with your selection. Because previously I'm like, ah, 50-50 power ballad, yeah. it's not my thing. Yeah. But this one was like, I'm, I was just banging my head and I was like, it is, it is, it is a strong song. It's a strong song, Ali, and we can all, we, we can record the days of Tears of Fears, can't we? Oh, it's a banger. Yeah. It's a banger. Mm. Uh, that is uh, our power battle for this Friday afternoon. Uh, thank you so much for all your responses. Uh, the result of the snap poll very, very shortly. In fact, uh, in about three, four, five minutes' time. But to this, Nationals Health spokesperson, Dr. Shane Aretti, has been having ambulance ride-alongs covering emergencies and said he wanted to get a sense of what the front line was like after dark. Actually seeing it with my own eyes, goodness that was something, quote unquote. Is this a case of an absolute breach of privacy or a politician getting out of his Wellington office to experience life on the coalface? St John and Health NZ are drawing up an agreement on managing ambulance observers. With us is Ian Powell, health commentator, former executive director of the Association of Salaried Medical Specialists. He writes at Ōtai Hanga Second Opinion. Ian, kia ora. Kia ora, Wallace. Is it usual for an MP to witness life at the medical coalface, such as what Dr. Ritty has been doing? Certainly not with ambulances. Uh, I do recall, however, that a former health minister, Tony, while he was the minister, Tony Ryle, did make uh, unscheduled, um, unnotified visits to some emergency departments uh, to get a feel for things. But what I would say on on Shane Ritty, I, I know Shane Ritty. He's a, he's a good guy. He's uh, he's ethical. He's smart, and many of the observations he's made about the current state of the health system are on the mark. But there's a pro and a con to this, which you've just alluded to, and one outweighs the other. Certainly, there's no argument. It's an invaluable experience in terms of getting to know what's happening. But there is something that trumps that, and that's informed consent. And that goes back to the days of the Cartwright Inquiry, which was then legislated for um, uh, back in the uh, mid to late 1980s. And patient consent is actually required in many things, including, I would have thought, this. Now, the problem with getting patient consent in this situation is that... uh, many people who are requiring an ambulance are not really in a position to actually give it. And also, they're in a rush as well. And then you can't, what do you do if you ask for informed consent? Do you then, and the patient says no, uh, do you leave the observer you have with you, such as right. Shane, in the, um, on the pavement? Um, so I would say that trumps it. Um, it's a little bit different with an emergency department because the circumstances are different. But definitely, I think uh, it does breach patient confidentiality at the lower end of things, but nevertheless breaches. Ali Moore. 
Yes, informed consent is is the key here. And in one case, I understand. I mean, let's remember he wasn't in emergency departments uh, solely. He was actually going into people's homes, as I understand. And in one case, uh, he was observing a, a woman in labour. Now, can I tell you a little quickly, a little gory story from my past? Go for so, it. When I was birthing my first child in 1998, um, I had something called a um, retained placenta. And it meant that shortly after the birth, I was taken into surgery and a uh, an obstetrician with thankfully very small fists had to <laughs> retrieve my present, uh, placenta manually. Uh, there were a bunch of people in the room and I was asked whether they were medical students and I was asked whether it was okay for them to stay and observe. And at that stage, I was in such a state and had so many drugs in my system uh, that there was, you know, of course I said yes. There was no way that the, that consent was properly informed. Right. So uh, mm. I, I just think that there's a line being crossed here and, you know, particularly when people are in distress in, the, in their own homes to the point that somebody's had to call an ambulance, you know, he was not there as a doctor. I understand he was a GP, but now he is a politician and I think he's crossed the line. All right. Kia ora for I'm sharing a story there, Ali. Uh, stay there, uh, Ian. We'll come back to you. Ed, I'm on. Uh, so my, my question is that um, I agree with Ali that it, it is, when I heard the story, it was an insanely crazy story that you can hang out with, uh, with the ambulance guys and then just observe them uh, and not really worry about uh, the patients. And then obviously it kind of hurt me later on that it turned into this political thing that I went there and I found all these things. So my question to you is that what, what would be a proper way for a politician to do this if they really want to find out what's happening on the front line? I, I think talk to those that are working on the front line. I think that all the insights that he could have got, he would have mm. got from this, uh, could have just as easily been obtained uh, in a more detached way from the circumstances at the time by a discussion with uh, ambulance officers. Uh, you know, most of the most of the overwhelmingly the knowledge, the knowledge of uh, what's happening in the health system at the clinical front line is known by those that are actually providing the health care at that front line. So I, I, I'm not con I can understand why he would like to do it, uh, but I just think for the reasons that Ali has outlined and I've outlined, it, it, it did cross the line. And, uh, and, yeah, and informed consent can't be dismissed. It's actually quite significant. It might sound a bit sort of uh, difficult to, find, to define, but in fact it's not. And... Uh, it becomes very clear in practical situations like this. I, I actually went uh, and had a look because I can recall, recall quite clearly the when uh, then Health Minister Tony Ryle was known to, you know, pop into the public areas of hospitals, introduce himself to patients, chat about their experience, was labelled by, I think, the opposition uh, then as um, secret shopper Tony. Uh, he was trying to get a window into life. Uh, in the UK, I know that the NHS, they're really trying to get the Prime Minister Rishi Sunak into emergency wars just to explain, can you see perhaps out of a sense of frustration, here's a guy who wants to get out of, out of his office. He wants to see what the absolute 
Raw life is life. What is health going through right now? That's where it's perhaps coming from. Well, I think the answer to that, however, rests with the, work, rests with the workforce. Talk to them. ED does a bit different, uh, emergency departments, in the sense it depends what one does there. But if one is just sort of sitting in the back and watching to get a sense of how busy they are without actually infringing on um, patient privacy, then that's a little bit different, although I think there still needs to be a bit of a protocol about those kinds of visits. Um, um, uh, but it's certainly not as... not as The informed consent issue depends on what they do there. In the case of ambulance, is the informed consent issue is one because they are there. Okay. Well, and especially if they're going, in, if if one goes into homes, that's taking it a step further. Ian Cura for that, and a nice TV on the program uh, again. That is uh, Ian Powell, health commentator, a former executive director of the Association of Salaried Medical Specialists. Imagine, imagine having a heart attack, and then you know Christopher Luxon is sitting there in the ambulance. I'm, I'll have a second heart attack because you know, who's this guy? Well, you seem to be fairly uniform. Uh, on not being okay with it. Um, when given birth, I was asked if a student could sit in. I declined. I'm quite horrified that uh, Dr. Ritti is in ambulances without a patient's express permission. Mm. Why? Um, is he collecting information with a view to changing policies? Uh, and uh, yes, uh, so although someone says he's not the first MP to ride along in an ambulance. Uh, and your, your scrapbook collection's coming through. Thank you for that. I kept a scrapbook in the 50s. I still have it. We cut pictures out of the of the royal family out of the newspaper and stuck them in with flour and water. Oh, that is a good can, trick. Can can you stick things on yeah. with flour and water? Yeah, yeah, you do that easily. Oh, okay. 15 to 5, the panel uh, in Z National. Uh, before we go to our next guest, I can I just, because you're dying to hear uh, uh, about our Snap panel poll, uh, where is it um, a record response this afternoon? I asked you, um, yes or no, do you support... Um, this, the wiping off of GST of fruit and veggies. 60% of panel pollers are against removing GST off. 40% of the panel family, you support cutting GST uh, from fresh fruit and veggies. So 60% against, 40% are for. Uh, to this, uh, we are with Ed Amon and Ali Moore this afternoon. The U.S. Congress may be divided on many things, but on Wednesday they put their differences aside to convene for a landmark panel on unidentified anomalous phenomenon or UFOs. Do you believe UAPs pose a potential threat to our national security? Yes, and here's why. The, the technology that we faced was far superior than anything that we had. And you could put that anywhere. If you, if you had one, you captured one, you reverse engineered it, you got it to work, you're talking something that can go into space, go someplace, drop down in a matter of seconds, do whatever it wants and leave, and there's nothing we can do about it. And the panel heard from senior military officers about a tic-tac-shaped craft that surpassed military tech and non-human biologics recovered. Uh, The televised event has been viewed as an acknowledgement that alien life could indeed be out there. I thought, well, who who knows about this? I know. Professor of Physics at the University of Auckland, Richard Esther. Professor Esther, kia ora. Kia ora. 
you'll be all across this. I knew it. What are your perspectives? <laughs> um, I, I'm, I, I'm less than immediately excited about the revelations that we're all supposed revelations that we're seeing here. I think, um, you know, the guy in his testimony made it pretty clear that a lot of what he was talking about to some extent was speculation on his part. Um, and I think, I think we're a long way from having, um, proof that, um, you know, that, that, you know, alien spacecraft have been, um, you know, doing burnouts in the skies around <laughs> American warplanes. But here you have David Grush served 14 years as an officer in the American Air Force and the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency. He's coming out saying, you know, this is happening. There's human biologics. He's the whistleblower, Richard. I, I think he's saying that he thinks there is or that he thinks there might be. It's a but cat. I think, it a I cat. think it's probably. I think it's probably the case that, um, you know, urban or kind of, you know, rumours and kind of myths, I think, probably circulate inside of, the, um, you know, mm. the military community, perhaps even more so than they do in general, because there is going to be a lot of information that is, um, you know, even inside of that community is, is, is compartmentalised. And a lot of what he's, the claims that he's making, you know, they don't necessarily pass, a, a you know, a gut check um, for, for credibility without without certainly a lot more you know, evidence than, than we've seen so far. What do you think, Ellie? Oh, I think I wish that um, bodies like this would spend more time on climate change and how we're ruining the planet than yeah. on this kind of thing. Um, however, <laughs> I'm just reading that, that there was a report in 2021 that said um, there were 144 sightings by military pilots since 2004 and all but one of them remained unexplained. So we're not talking about a large number of... But there's one, uh, Ali, there's one. Here, See, right? there's one. There's one. What's that one? That's what I want to know. Uh, what, questions <laughs> do, what questions do you have, Ed? Yeah. Um, so uh, my question is that, is it a question of um, American hubris that all the aliens and all the aircrafts and all these things come to America and they see it and... It's not seen by Chinese Air Force, Pakistani Air Force, Indian Air Force. None of these people are working on uh, on this. So why are they coming to America? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. There is a, there is a kind of a widespread um, suggestion that, that sightings of UFOs or what were called UFOs, you know, picked up dramatically um, after the end of the Second World War. And, you know, there's a lot of things. There's more things in the sky at that point. Um, you know, you've just had the um, development of the atomic bomb, which which had this mm. kind of sense that maybe technology was, you know, m even more transformative than we might have previously have guessed. Um, I think there is. I mean, I know that in Japan, for instance, there's a fair bit of interest in, in UFOs and popular culture. So some of that might simply be a translation thing. You know, if you Google for UFOs in Japan, you, you, you know, right. you're not, not searching with the appropriate appropriate term but it does seem to be the case that certainly amongst um you know in the anglosphere it does seem to be the case that the, the u.s government has put far more effort into this and it's mm. been far more of a phenomenon in the u.s than than it has been elsewhere yeah and and i think that that obviously says either the americans are the most interesting people which is why the aliens have gone there or alternatively <laughs> the, um, <laughs> alternatively you can draw an inference about americans from that so you know yeah. I'm, a, I'm a physics professor so i'm, I'm not going to go there <laughs> yeah uh, look it's 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 <laughs> 
uh, as Ali rightfully says, you know, we have um, uh, we have uh, issues right up front in our face that need to be addressed urgently. Nonetheless, the, there is interest, isn't there? It's, it, it is what makes us human to have interest, whether or not there is some alien life, whether or not we are alone. Uh, this afternoon, because it's all about hot takes today, whether it be GST or fruit and veg, Professor Esther, what's your sense on whether or not something is out there? Um, I think life got started on our planet really quickly. So I believe that life in the sense of, you know, funguses and, you know, bugs is is common throughout the universe because planets are common. Um, Intelligent life took a lot longer. And so I'm quite prepared to believe that that's much rarer. Do you think there's something out there, Ed? Yeah, definitely. Because... um I mean, we know only a tiny bit about it and we can't reach. There's millions of um, light years between planets and galaxies. And um, so there's very likely that something exists. But we don't have to force it by saying that there was a tic-tac in the sky and there's aliens. No, no. All I'm going to say, if you are listening to this and if you are out there, please don't come. We've had enough. Uh, (laughs) uh, We have our issues. uh, uh, Professor Esther, the the, the pandemic was bad enough. The last thing we need is um, breaking news. <laughs> um, there is um, a spaceship down by the viaduct, and Wayne Brown is going to be giving, us, uh, giving an announcement at four pm. See our leader. <laughs> we're going to be taking. We're going to take them to him. <laughs> All right, thank you, Richard. Kia ora. Uh, that's um, professor of physics at Auckland University. Uh, yeah, please don't come. Uh, seven away from five, the panel. Now it's time for a new feature. It's called the Friday Fundy. When the panel hears, celebrates and acknowledges groups from around the motu fundraising for their community. And if you have a fundraiser, small, email me, thepanel at rnz.co.nz. And this week we're putting up the call to people in the Hutt Valley for lemons. Because if you don't have lemons, then perhaps you can buy a good bag for a good cause. With us is Monica Devine from a charity organisation called Greenstone Doors. Monica, kia ora. What's me on. it's a pleasure. So you're the, the first charity for Friday Fundy. Uh, what's green? What's Greenstone Doors? What are you doing in the hut, Valley? Okay, well, Greenstone Doors have been going for ten years now, and the best way to explain Greenstone Doors is to um, share our mission. We're, we're here to support women and their funnel through pregnancy and into a future full of hope. That's the main. That's the main gist mm. of why we're here. Very, and you're raising. Money, what's your fundraiser? Okay, well, our fundraiser, which I only invented last Saturday, is called Lemons for Locals. And the idea is to um, collect um, lemons, excess lemons from people's backyards or front yards and then package them up and sell them at a, ki- you know, a kilo for koha. So whatever anyone can afford to pay, every cent of our profit, every cent of money we make, not just profit, every cent we, we um, realise, go straight back to the charity to help support our counselling services and all the other services that we offer to women. Ali, Lemons for Koha. This is a wonderful, small uh, community initiative, huh? It is very I love this. Ali? Uh, I love this because it's circular, right? So there's no actual production costs or outlay. You're using a waste product. Um, yeah. I've always wondered what the, you know, <laughs> what... The, whether it's um, okay to, you know, 
jump somebody's fence and collect all the lemons off the ground since they're obviously going to go to waste and plainly it's not because that would be trespassing but this circumvents that problem uh and the fact that every cent is is going um to to help mamas and their peppies that's fantastic yes even the paper bags are recycled just donated from people who don't need the paper bags anymore Ed. And mm. I have a, I have my husband's a lawyer, and I, so I'm very careful about not stealing other people's lemons. So this mm. is a good legal way for me to get some good, free, free lemons. Ed, you'd be a fan of getting a bag oh, of lemons. I'm a, I'm a huge fan. I'm, I will be a fan of giving away the lemons because the lemons have become the bane of my ex- existence. <laughs> At my house, there's one small lemon plant, but it is a fertile beast. So, oh. um, so a lot of the times that many of the lemons are on the floor, um, on the garden, and then they rot away. Um, and we've tried to give it to our neighbors, uh, uh, filled our fridges with ice cubes. And if something had existed like uh, a, a your effort... I would be happy to just give away all the, all the lemons that can be sold to people who don't have lemon trees, and it goes to a good cause. So it's a fantastic. Bring it to bring it to Auckland. Bring your cotton bud to Auckland. Franchise, I think we're looking at a franchise. Yeah. Monica, nice to have you on the program. All the best with the uh, the lemon uh, charity. So that's the uh, first of the Friday fun day. If there's any um, a charity, if there's any f- small fundraiser, be it um, uh, a robotics club for kids. It could be a compost uh, for charity. It could be anything at all. Um, we don't uh, discriminate. It could be something that you want to support, just a grassroots thing. Um, please get in touch with me, uh, the panel at rnz.co.nz, because, Ali Moore, that's often where you get the helping hand, isn't it? Just your small community stuff. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and and some of the some of our best known charities started in in those very yeah. small ways as well. But um, you know, that's that's an effort that's going to do an enormous amount of good. I'm really proud of them. Fantastic news. All right, very good. That's Ali Moore and uh, Ed Amon. You are on the panel RNZ National. Thank you so much for all your feedback this afternoon. Goodness gracious me! Big thanks to Nikki Jonas, my wonderful producer. Uh, I will see you tomorrow. Sorry, Monday, three forty-five. Lisa Owen and Checkpoint is next.